Good morning, Arbor Church. Thank you for joining us this morning. I'm glad you're here today. My name is Scott. I'm going to be speaking today. I'm on the speaking team and teaching team here at Arbor Church, and I'm thrilled that you're with us this Sunday morning. We're in the middle of a series about Peter. We've been studying Peter and different aspects of what he can teach us about Jesus. Last week, Jake spoke about Peter the Librarian. I thought that was an interesting title until I understood it was Peter the Liberator. This week, we're moving forward to talk about Peter the Dreamer. And I'm really excited to talk about that. Not that you'll fall asleep and dream, but that we're talking about Peter the Dreamer and what we can learn about Jesus through that dream. Our theme through this whole series has been better understanding Jesus through the life of Peter. And it's the life that Peter spent with Jesus while he was on earth and the life that Peter spent after Jesus left earth through ministry that we get a deeper understanding and appreciation for Jesus, his attributes, and who he is, not only as our Savior, but now as our risen Lord and God in heaven. We pick our story up in Acts chapter 10, but I want to give you some background as to where we are in the time frame of the New Testament church. First, you need to know that Jews have been scattered around the area and region of the world, either A, due to captivity many years before and taken from Jerusalem and Judea and left in different regions, or B, they have left Jerusalem to flee religious persecution to get to other regions. The point is that Jews are scattered everywhere. And many of these Jews would take an annual Mecca, a trip back to Jerusalem to worship at the temple there. And in fact, just a few weeks ago, I spoke about when Peter got up to speak in Jerusalem to these people, to these Jews, many of whom were visiting. And that day after he preached, 3,000 people were added to the New Testament church in that one day. The Jews began spreading around the region with this new message of the gospel of Christ. Peter began to travel and minister to them in different cities, speaking, preaching and speaking to the Jews. Persecution then began to arise by the religious leaders led by a man named Saul, who would later become Paul. That's the context in which we all find this story taking place. And Peter, we find him, all right, in a city called Joppa. He's staying in a house by the sea that belonged to a tanner named Simon. So Simon is staying with Simon. Simon the apostle was Simon the tanner. In fact, you could probably say Simon tanned skins by the seashore. How many skins does Simon skin down by the seashore? And if you're in the room, that would have been really funny, but it's not right now, and nobody's laughing, so I'll move on because it's a really quiet room. Part one, I want to introduce to you the main player in the story, and it's a centurion. Perhaps you don't know much about centurions. A centurion is a military leader of about 80 to 100 highly trained military men known as legionnaires. These were the elite of the elite. They're like the special forces, the special ops of their time. They were not only elite warriors, they were expert builders. And what the Romans would do is they would conquer an area, subdue the area, and then they would send in a centurion leader with his legionnaires to rule and enforce the Roman law. But the legionnaires would also begin to build and develop the area. But the legionnaires and the centurion were there for one reason only mainly, to remind the conquered people about who's really in charge. And for the Jews, 
The centurion and the legionnaires were viewed as everything that was wrong with the Jewish kingdom and the Jewish kingdom that had gone away. They were a representation of them being enslaved and forced under a law that they didn't want. However, the centurion in this story is quite unique. This centurion loved God. And as we're going to find out, there was something unique about him that God used to open and shift the paradigm of the new believers. So let's begin in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Let's pause for a second. There's a word in here about God-fearing. There is a term that the New Testament church believers used for people that were not Jewish, but believed in God. They were called God-fearers. These were people that were not part of the Jewish culture or nation, but they liked the monotheistic view of the Jews. They loved the tradition and practices of the Jews, and they would follow along and worship the God of the Jews, but not convert to Judaism. And these were called God-fearers. And that's how Cornelius was viewed by the Jews in his town because he was a kind man. He followed their religious views. He was giving alms and prayers in the temple. So let's continue. Verse three. One day at about three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God come to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. I'm sorry, I always find just a little bit of humor. I wonder if the guys are confused. We're getting Simon from Simon's house, but sorry, I digress. I love reading scripture stories and just realizing that we're dealing with real people in real lives that are probably a bit confused for a moment. When the angel who had spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So we have the setting of the story here where an unlikely character, a centurion, who is a God-fearing, faithful man following the Jewish customs, taking care of the Jewish people in the area that he was called to rule, having an encounter with an angel of the Lord, being told to sin for a man who we know as Simon the Peter the Apostle. The story here is interesting to me because oftentimes, I think in our own lives, we have a picture of the type of people that God's going to use to further his ministry and kingdom. I think oftentimes we picture that God has a certain type of individual selected. And as we move forward, I want you to think about our own lives and maybe any biases or prejudice or ideas or, you know, ideas that we have of who can be used and who can't be used. So let's pick the story up here. Part two, Peter the dreamer. Remember, he's staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa. In Acts 10, verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey, the men that Cornelius had sent, and approaching the city, Peter went up the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, a daydream of some sort. 
He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I have not eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now for you and I, and for Peter, that's a very strange dream. But it resonated probably differently with Peter than it is probably for you and I today, because a sheet full of animals, it's like, is he asking him to build another ark? Is there something going on? For Peter, I believe that he too was wrestling with it, but in a different context. The context is the Jewish dietary law and customs of that day, in which they could eat nothing that had been identified as impure or unclean in the Pentateuch, the Old Testament law given to them by Moses in the book of Leviticus. And if you were a Jew, you followed these dietary customs to the T. We call it kosher diet today by a lot of people, eating kosher. But for the Jews, it is an extremely important rite in their religious beliefs and practices. And for Peter, having grown up a Jew, he had not ever eaten anything impure or unclean and would not consider it. So I think that part of Peter is wrestling with his dream a bit, wondering what the significance in his life is and if God is maybe challenging him again on something. Because the other unique thing about this dream is that once again, it happened three times. Three is a powerful number in the, Peter, in the life of Peter, if you recall. He denied Christ three times. Christ asked him, do you love me three times? And now this sheet is being dropped down three times, God challenging him and asking him to partake in something that Peter deemed unclear and unpure. Perhaps Peter's wrestling, does this have something to do with what God told me to go to all nations? What is that supposed to be like? And so it's in this context that I think we can relate to Peter that oftentimes when we're trying to hear from God, we get confused about how we're supposed to hear from God. And I think there again, we have this bias, this misconception, this preconceived idea of God delivers messages in a certain way. Folks, I'm here to tell you that God is unique in the way that He talks to people. God is unique in the way that He lets you know what He wants you to know. It can be a vision. It can be something from the Scripture in your devotions. It can be words spoken to you from someone in your life. It could be a stranger. It could be something, inspiration in a book or a movie you're watching. It could be in creation. God is unlimited, not only to who He can use, but in the way that He can deliver the message to you. And what I'm hoping that we are seeing today is we have to unharness these preconceived notions, biases, prejudices that we hold on to sometimes that hinder us from fully doing what God wants us to do. Let's continue our story. <clears throat> As Peter was pondering this, and it says so in Acts chapter 10, verse 17 through 23, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was 
and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Pause again. What did I tell you about Simon and three? I think these are very unique things. I think God does things distinctly and uniquely in our lives, and he sent three men to get Peter. He said, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. I think just for a quick intake here, I think that just speaks so intimately to who Christ is for us. He knew that Peter was coming off of this weird dream, the number three swirling around, three men show up and he says to him, Peter, don't hesitate, trust me and go. So the men come in, they meet with Peter, they explain we were sent by Cornelius, the centurion in Caesarea, he's, he's a God-fearer, he wants to meet with you so that you can come teach us, would you please come with us? The next day, they get up, they leave Joppa, they travel to Caesarea, and this is where we pick the story up in Caesarea now. In verse 27, they get there and Cornelius welcomes them into his home, introduces himself and is talking to them. And so Peter walks into the house with them. Verse 27, while talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Pause. Some context again. Jews did not associate with Gentiles. I already explained to you the Jewish dietary laws and restrictions. Above anything of that was their denial and inability and unwillingness to associate what they perceived as unclean, impure people called the Gentiles. This is a historical, long-standing rift in their community and their religion. And so Peter is stating the very obvious, and they're probably all like, yeah, duh, we know that. We've lived it our whole lives. And he's saying this, and then he says, but God, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Checkpoint there. He suddenly shifted the vision from calling animals impure or unclean, it's starting to click in his mind here, to anyone. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So then Cornelius gets up and tells a story again in front of all the people about the angel visiting him, telling him to go find Peter, to bring him up to here, and that is really all Cornelius knew. And so Peter picks it up from there. In verse 34, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts, every, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I cannot emphasize enough how significant these words are that Peter just spoke following Cornelius' invitation to come visit him. God had supernaturally orchestrated this unconscionably unlawful gathering for a Jewish leader and Jewish people with him to meet with Gentiles and engage in a conversation about what was to become a union of the New Testament church. The message that followed from Peter would shock everyone gathered. And furthermore, 
all right? Repercussions will be felt moving forward, not just for the congregation, but for the whole New Testament church. So Peter continues. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Verse 44, we jump forward a little bit in his message to verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words to the people, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, those would be the Jewish people, had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The point you need to take away from this is the magnitude of the fact that God does not show favoritism. No bias, no prejudice, no partiality, nothing. God accepts all people. And you may be sitting here thinking, well, duh. We have all known that. But it wasn't always that way. And I'm telling you right now, it's not always that way today. While we live in our freedoms, we still live in a very segregated society at times on Sunday mornings, in communities, in our own private lives. And I'm not saying you do it intentionally, but is it under the surface? Are we really understanding how God can use anyone he wants and give a message any way he wants to further the kingdom of God? Or are we stuck thinking it has to be done a particular way, a particular method, on a particular day of the week, through a particular type of person. I think what God is saying here to us, in fact, I don't think, and I know it is, there is no more of that. There is people. And I came for all people. Flashback to Acts chapter 2. When Peter and all the, his disciples and apostles were in the upper room, and they were waiting to, for Jesus to come back. And they were praying, and there was the rushing of the wind, and these little flames, these little tongues of fire came and floated over their head, and they began speaking in tongues. And this is when I preached about a couple weeks ago. Peter got up and began talking to people in their own language, and everybody understood what he was saying. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Jews were like, wow, this is Jesus coming back to be in us. And the Jews thought, this is for us. This is our new religion, our new belief. The idea now that that same Holy Spirit, that same part of Jesus, would dare go into something as unclean, as unrepentant as a Gentile, was foreign to anything they could ever imagine. And I don't even know if I have the proper parallel of thinking about this for you today other than maybe the history of our own country when it comes to people of color and other people of other colors and how we view each other and all that stuff. All I'm trying to say to you is the message in this little meeting that happened between a centurion and the apostle Peter changed the paradigm and the thinking of the New Testament church. And I would hope that somehow today that we are not so self-absorbed in ourselves that we can't stop for a moment and ask our own selves, is there a bias I have? And just start with your own local life. It, maybe it's a neighbor down the street from you that you kind of have a second thought about. Maybe it's someone at work that you just resist engaging with. Maybe it's a notion or a prejudice or a bias you carry about certain type of person or certain type of location. It could be anything. Jesus took the disciples to Samaria to speak to a Samaritan woman 
to show them that my love, my message has no boundaries. I'll take you right into the one country that you guys will walk around to avoid walking through. And you may think, why did he have to do this right here? Well, because years have gone by and Peter is still preaching only to the Jewish people. And Jesus was like, it's time for you to get this, Peter. I told you to feed my sheep, not your sheep, my sheep, and my sheep are all people. See, God thought it was time to remind Peter that the part of the gospel that Peter was missing, the gospel that Jesus died for, the gospel that was Jesus, is for all people. He had to remind Peter that Jesus ate with sinners. He touched and healed lepers. He pardoned prostitutes. He reckoned with religious oppressors. He forgave tax collectors. He spoke with a Samaritan woman at a well. He modeled the way, the truth, and the life for all people. And we as a church need to continue modeling the very thing that Jesus did in our day and age. And I wonder if times if we're doing a good job of that. Or if we, like Peter, are asleep on the roof. And we're asleep thinking we know what the vision is telling us. Maybe we need to move out of our own comfort zone into the home and the life of somebody distinctly different than us to gain a perspective, an insight, a hearing, a voice to understand fully what God is trying to tell us about Himself for the world to better know Him. I believe in that moment Peter woke up. Peter had thought he was awake. He thought he knew what he should know when actually he didn't know what he didn't know. He had a bias and was operating in a bias and didn't understand it. By not going and preaching and partnering with the Gentiles, he was remaining comfortable in the circle that he had known. And if we know one thing about Jesus, Jesus was a man of discomfort. He continually led his disciples into discomfort. He continually went into the homes of people that he was ridiculed about. And my question to you is, are we living in discomfort? Are we setting in our own comfort with our preconceived notion of how we're supposed to live and preach this message of God. I wish that I could tell you Peter continued to thrive in this area, but I want to close with reminding you that Peter himself did not practice this fully afterwards. I know this because years later, the Apostle Paul comes along, and he had to confront Peter and say, Peter, Remember that day with Cornelius when you spoke about, you know, Jesus is for all people and that he doesn't have laws and rituals to follow. You remember that? And you began to do so well, but you slipped back. And we pick up in Galatians. I'll read to you in Galatians 2, 11 through 21. Paul is telling the story. He said, when Cephas, which is the Arabic name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But then when these Christian men from Jerusalem arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcised group, the Jewish group. For us today, that could be any group that you think is the right group to belong to. The most religious group. The way you're supposed to act. The way you should behave inside circles. the way you, It's whatever you view as the group that you should be accepted by to not be perceived as something else. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a stretch to say most of us have struggled this within our lives. I know I have. The pressure to perform 
and present myself in one way has held, led me to withdraw and ignore people I know that I probably should have in my life. I'm here to tell you this very simple thing from the story of the centurion and Peter. God is not a respecter of people. He loves all people. He died for all people. God does not see all right, one person as better than another. He sees people for who they are. Those that he created, those that he loved, and those that he wants to bring together. Because it's together as a church that we accomplish more. And it's only together as a church when we put our arms around one another and begin to learn from one another that the church is fully what Jesus intended it to be. He said to go to Jerusalem first, then Judea, then the uttermost parts of the earth. And that can mean literally traveling to the uttermost parts of the earth or putting our arms around the uttermost parts of the earth that are right next door to us. Yet we don't do it. We just don't. And I'm afraid that we'll leave here today and hear something like this and be engaged for a while and then slip back right into our discomfort or our comfort, sorry, slip right back into our comfort. And what I want to ask you to do today is that when we leave here today, we don't slip back into our comfortable state. We try to stay in discomfort with Jesus by going to places that push us into an area where we have to examine ourselves and listen and hear from others. I want to close with one last verse. Ephesians 3, 6. Again, Paul is speaking. Ephesians 3, 6. This is the mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Friends, the church should be the catalyst that brings light to the bias, prejudice, ignorance, impartiality, racist behavior, whatever it is that divides people. The church should be that light, that catalyst. And for far too long, it stepped back into a zone of comfort. And I think it's time for us to step forward into a better practice of discomfort. But first, I'm going to start in you. Like it did with Peter on a rooftop, waiting for dinner, Jesus had to pull back and say, Peter, Let's examine something. If it doesn't start with you first, then we together cannot collectively become what it is that Christ wants us to be. Starts with me, and then we can see what Jesus intended us to be. Let's pray.